everyone. Welcome to this presbyopic management interview with the experts. I'm Mike Ahmed from Toronto, Canada. Hi, and I'm Kathy McCabe from the west coast of Florida. And we're going to talk today about a variety of different next generation presbyopic correcting lenses and the type of patients that would benefit from this technology. You know, we've seen an incredible plethora of new technologies, both new diffractive designs, non-diffractive designs, and then new monofocal designs that give us and our patients a wide variety of options today as well. So Kathy and I are going to talk about the different type of lenses, how they may perhaps improve from previous generations and where they may fit in our current algorithm. So Kathy, my first question to you is, you know, there are different types of presbyopic cataract patients that can be addressed with these new generation of presbyopic lenses. Do you feel that these may sort of meet some unmet needs, perhaps that patients who wouldn't be happy with pre-existing technologies and how would that be in today's technologies? Yeah, you know, I think it's pretty exciting right now. For a long time, all we had were a lot of different diffractive optics uh, that really, you know, for good reason, limited some of the patients who would benefit from presbyopia correction in the traditional sense, I guess now the traditional sense of having each eye able to see a distance and somewhere intermediate to near to give them binocular vision. And so diffractive optics, for lots of reasons, don't necessarily benefit every patient. And now we have things like iHANS, which is a, the monofocal plus. We have Vividi, which is a non-diffractive extended depth of focus lens. Uh, and we have lots of strategies, new strategies that we're even learning how to use better like Synergy that's sort of a, a combination of different strategies together, an EDOF and a multifocal. So I think, you know, in my practice, I've seen that I can offer some of these technologies to patients that traditionally I would have been more concerned about, like people with early macular pathology or maybe early optic nerve thinning, things like that. I agree, Kathy. You know, I mean, with presbyopic lenses, usually there's a compromise. You know, we can enhance depth perception or range of vision, but it often comes at a compromise with dysphotopsia, night vision disturbances and glare and halos and or quality of vision issues like waxy vision or poor low light vision. And I think um, it's really incredible that we have technologies that really almost have resolved the issues around night vision disturbances while giving us really great uh, enhanced range of vision. And also, um, in, you know, some of the diffractive technologies that still have an important role because nothing beats a diffractive technology for a full range of vision, but, you know, address some of the quality of vision issues that perhaps make us a bit worried uh, for those patients. So we'll be speaking a bit about how these technologies fit in and what some of the differences are uh, as they compare. You know, so, I think one of the things that, that I've seen you, I'm sure you've seen this too, is people who jumped into the presbyopia correcting market kind of early when we didn't have the kind of quality diffractive optics that we have now too, went through, and I certainly did, the period of time when patients were really complaining, like you just said, about waxy vision, didn't feel like their quality of vision at distance was great. And they also had a significant number of glare and halos. And, you know, we explain what those compromises are, but even as physicians who knew that was a possibility and thought we communicated it well, we were a little bit disappointed in our patient's experience. So I, a lot of colleagues I know maybe got out of trying to offer those solutions to their patients because of that experience. And I think now with the new diffractive optics, like you were talking about, we really can offer those and not worry so much about these other compromises that aren't as big a deal anymore. So that's another thing is we have technologies now where people who are sort of gun shy of getting involved in this market can maybe 
dip their toe back in or jump in wholeheartedly without worrying so much that they're going to be dealing with those unhappy patients. Agreed. So let's talk about some of those solutions. Uh, so some of the new lenses include the J&J Johnson Johnson came out with what we call here a monofocal plus. It's the iHance uh, lens. And you know what, what does that mean? If you can kind of walk us through that and have you had experience with that technology so far? Yeah, Kathy, I mean, you know, this lens is, is really almost indistinguishable from the base Technus ZCB series lenses that we're all familiar with. And I think the Technus lens material and the optical performance and aberration correction is well known to be, you know, excellent in terms of spherical and chromatic aberration. And I've always liked the visual quality that came out of this platform. The main difference with the iHance lens is basically a very subtle curvature change on the anterior surface of the central part of the lens. And this doesn't really change the aspherosity really, but it more just really enhances the power of the lens to give us a little bit more intermediate vision. And so, you know, the benefit here, of course, is we have a benefit of having increased range of vision for intermediate, not quite as much as some of the other EDOF lenses that are out there, but still something more than the Technus monofocal lens itself. And the big news with this lens is that if you look at the contrast sensitivity data and the MTF transmission data, there really is no loss of quality of vision, no loss of contrast, which is really important when it comes to safety and risks. And so this is almost a no brainer in my opinion, if, you know, if, if you know, worse comes to worse, if you feel that there's no other lenses the patient can benefit from, then why not give them this lens if you're gonna think about a monofocal? It gives them some potential enhanced range and I, I do a little, little bit of offset for patients, uh, aiming a little bit of, uh, of micro or mini monovision with this lens and it gives them some enhanced range without really issues around contrast of low light. So that's kind of what I see is iHance uh, and what it gives them. That's why it's called monofocal plus or enhanced monofocal or refractive monofocal because it is very much like a monofocal in terms of risk and performance wise, it doesn't quite meet the criteria for need off, but it does right. give us an extra bounce, an extra line or plus of vision for intermediate, not for near though, but for a little bit of intermediate. So is there like a particular patient a patient scenario, something that certain patients are asking for that have certain, you know, exam characteristics that you go, you know what, this is a patient where I really think that iHance fits well. Who would that be? Yeah. I mean, in my practice, we're always thinking, I mean, let's try to go for the goal. Let's try to go for a full range of vision, which is typically a, a diffractive type of technology that gives them full range from far middle to, to near. Uh, if we can't do that for reasons, then we go to an eat-off lens. And we'll talk about that. I know and once we get through all that and patients are not, don't qualify, or maybe they have comorbidities, or maybe that's not right for them for other reasons, then this is where this fits in. So if they're a monofocal patient, they're an IHAS candidate. And, you know, I, in my book, again, there's really no downside. So why not? I mean, there's a little bit of a, of a cost difference in these, but as far as risks and as far as application, it's really for any monofocal patient. I don't see a reason why we wouldn't in those patients. And so it comes as a toric too. So, you know, can also satisfy that need or that desire to be glasses free at distance. Do you think it's really, is it taking the place then? It sounds like it is of a lot of your monofocal patients, uh, monofocal lenses. It, it really is, Kathy. I mean, like I said, I mean, why not? Why not give the opportunity for a patient? It's like aspheric lenses. I mean, why not give a patient a benefit of having enhanced, you know, uh, you know quality um, of vision? Why not give them more range of vision as well? Uh, and so, yes, yeah, so the Toric platform is available. We have a lot of experience with this. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really a, a, a situation where you know, there's some cost, you know, considerations, of course, but otherwise, you know, it's like, why not? 
Do you talk to patients about the fact that you're going to give them a little bigger range of vision or is that like a happy surprise if it happens? I mean, I still tell them I want them to know what the value of this lens of these lenses are, but I certainly don't want to increase expectations. I think that's really important because sometimes there's a perception we're going to get more than we can. So I'm very honest that we'll give them a little bit extra. They still will need to wear something for near and maybe even for some intermediate, depending what their tasks are, but it can give them a little bit more than they would with a regular monofocal. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, I've put some of these lenses in too, and I've had that experience that some patients really do quite well at intermediate and even get a little bit of near, but it's not as predictable. That's why it's not an EDOF lens, but really does give uh, some enhanced range of vision. You know, the trouble for us here in the U.S. is that it does cost more and it doesn't have uh, a designation that allows us to charge for that except for distance. So we can't charge for it as though it's a presbyopia correcting lens. So that makes it a little more challenging to try to use it as your monofocal, like you were describing, uh, but it certainly fits into that distance maximized kind of strategy for patients, I think really well. Agree, well, let, let's move on to what is actually, uh, you know, a truly defined uh, EDOF lens and extended depth of focus lens as defined by ANSI and, and um, by the FDA, which is, which is the Vividi lens. And, and this, this is really a different technology, Kathy. And, uh, you know, maybe you can describe, you know, exactly how does Vividi work and describe the technology, what this lens can do. Yeah, so, so Vividi, I'm very familiar with. Uh, we were in the FDA pivotal trial for Vividi. Um, and it's been really a great enhancer of my practice as far as allowing me to offer these binocular presbyopia correcting solutions for patients that I never thought were really great candidates or borderline candidates in the past or patients who are really worried about having visual disturbances like glare and halos. And the way it does it is that it, it's built on the SN60WF Alcon Acrosoft platform. Um, but the central 2.2 millimeters has this elevation. It has two elements that are optical elements. One is a little elevation and the other is a little change in the shape. And so there's a transition zone that has a second effect. So the little elevation acts as, I think of like, you know, when you're walking across the exhibit floor and you're trying to move really fast and you hit the carpet, it slows down the wavefront. So the central portion at that elevation slows the wavefront and then those light rays actually come into focus in front of the retina. The peripheral light rays, light rays are able to move faster and hit the retina first. And the effect is to stretch out the wavefront so that it falls in front of and behind the retina pretty equally. Then that transition zone, the second part of that central 2.2 millimeters actually moves energy that's way behind the retina and flips it over in front of the retina in the myopic range so that most of the energy is being used somewhere either between distance, intermediate, or even some functional near range. And it gives really a nice complete column of precisely focused light all the way from distance through intermediate at 66 centimeters, all the way to near really at the 2032 level at near. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that's really fascinating technology and, and it's not diffractive technology, as you said, it's not the classical refractive, zonal refractive type of technology of the past. It's really a different category. And I know it's been called X-wave technology. Some people call it wave front shaping, uh, right. you know, stretching and shifting is, is what I've heard as well. And you described it very nicely. So I think that is, that is really cool technology. 
I mean, it yeah. is an EDOF. We've had experience with other EDOFs. Um, and I wonder whether you can maybe clinically uh, compare the performance of Vividi, both in terms of efficacy and risks uh, compared to other available EDOFs out there. Yeah, you know, so we hear EDOF and we, we really think about what we've had available, at least in the US, which has really been Symphony. Um, and I think that the intention of that category in general is really been great. It's to provide this continuous range of vision and try to help minimize dyscotopsias. Um, so it doesn't split light. So we can go back to the benefits of that as you outline them for the eye hands, but uh, that's also holding true for the Vividi, no splitting of light. So very, really important. And because of that, contrast sensitivity is maintained. It's not exactly the same as the monofocal lens, but in a functional way, it, it really is a very high level of contrast sensitivity. Um, and then if we look at some of the other things that we've noticed from the other EDUF uh, lens in the past, these visual disturbances, with the Vividi lens, it has the same visual disturbance profile as the monofocal lens, where very few patients were, were bothered at all by glare or halos, and 0% of either groups were bothered by starbursts. So I think that's been a really kind of a game changer for me as well. I know if I put this lens in that the patient doesn't have any more risk than a monofocal lens of having glare or halos and I'm not splitting light. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I was skeptical, but I've been very impressed with the lack of night vision disturbances and halos, which I'm always worried about with anything that manipulates light. And that's been a real nice addition to what we have. And I mean, the contrast sensitivity story, I think is still playing out a little bit. I mean, there's obviously some changes and some differences between aspherics and this, but I think we're seeing clinically that, that it can be used in, in those settings. And speaking of that, are there any patients specifically that you type of, you particularly target for, for Vividi, the Vividi lens? So I think, you know, there's kind of two categories. One are the patients who come in and they're really complaining of glare and halos. That's their main complaint. They do things that really depend on not having that issue. Maybe they're a pro golfer, maybe they're a pilot, you know, something where that's going to be a major issue. I think Vividi has been great for that. And then the second is patients where I just am concerned that their ocular health might show something potentially progressive that in 10 years, I'm going to think, nah, diffractive optics were not the best choice for this patient. So maybe they have a few drusen, a very early epiretinal membrane, not distorting the fovea, they have you know, some dry eye, don't think they're gonna be able to maintain as easily, maybe a few guttata. So early signs of disease that I don't really know if it's going to be progressive, but I'm worried that it might be. And that's really expanded the number of patients I can offer these solutions to. I agree, I'm excited to see, you know, and we have a lot of uh, studies going on with this, uh, with this lens in those comorbidities and patients who wouldn't necessarily think of presbyopic lenses. So I think that's very exciting. Just last question, I know that some people have looked at this lens and did a little bit of an offset and any experience or any thoughts on that to give them a little bit more bounce for near? I mean, it's not quite monovision, but a little bit of an offset. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so patients do pretty well at intermediate and near. Like I said, their intermediate is usually 2025, 20, near maybe 2032 if you target Plano. But there is this sort of wide plateau around Plano and it allows you to have some leeway in biasing your refractive target in one eye, usually the non-dominant eye, just a little bit myopic. So I've been targeting minus a half a diopter, sometimes only minus a quarter, because I wanna maintain that really excellent distance vision. 
And really with minus a quarter to minus a half, they'll gain about a line at intermediate and a line at near. And that's enough to give them much more independence in the intermediate and near range. What I would caution is, you know, you really don't, this, this doesn't need full monovision. You don't wanna to try to shoot for like a minus one. The patients really aren't gaining a lot and they are losing a little bit in their depth perception and their distance quality of vision. So I'd say the sweet spot for me has been about a minus a half a diopter. I agree. And I think the one lesson here as well is like, you know, we don't promise no glasses for close up 30 to 40 centimeter reading. I mean, they often, they often get it, but I don't like to promise that because that isn't always achievable with this lens. You know, if they push me on it, sometimes I'll tell them, you know what, some patients actually do get near vision, but I'm not going to tell you that. And I haven't been telling you that because I'd like it to be a happy surprise if it happens. And I'm certainly not guaranteeing you'll get that. So, but of course I'm telling them that while I'm telling them, I'm not telling them that. <laughs> so let's move on to uh, another category. Probably it's the most recent category in the US anyway um, of new presbyopia correcting lens. And that's J&J, &J, which has come out with a combination EDOF lens and multifocal called a synergy lens. Can you tell us what's this all about? It's a little more confusing that way. Yeah, you know, this, this, is, an, this is a fascinating technology that I think, you know, uh, we've had experience over, for over a year now, and I know in the U.S. This is, this is emerging as well. The lens, this lens attempts to address some of the deficiencies that are out there with diffractive multifocal technologies. I mean, it takes the benefit of a hybrid technology from an EDOF that we've seen that works for Symphony and moved it over to this platform, which also includes, of course, the benefits of having a full range of vision lens. One of the highlights of this lens that we have found, and on the defocus curve, you see it as well, is they're really close near point. So these patients really have, an, have excellent near vision um, beyond what we see with other technologies. And I think this is nice, a nice little add-on, nice little bounce for patients to get a full range of vision, but also get that you know, closer near point that can help. It also helps when you have to, you know, for example, use your cell phone and not have to use larger text or have a lot of backlighting on your cell phone, which we find with certain patients. I think that's one big difference and one, one, one important uh, technologically advanced with this lens. The other part of this lens as well is the quality of vision. And I'm pretty impressed, for example, looking at the basic lab work on the MTF curves. I mean, you know, whether it's a three or five millimeter, it's, it's quite impressive to see the modulation transfer with this lens. And this has to do, I think, really with the optical design, you know, the base material, the technus, is for collaboration and both the passive and the active chromatic aberration, which I find fascinating to address chromatic aberration in both manners. I think all these along with the Echelet designs have enhanced the quality of vision, which is a big, not a big, but certainly an issue that we sometimes are reluctant to use these multifocal lenses in. So, you know, from that perspective, you know, it really fits in nicely with a full range of vision, close, very close near point that, that, that can enhance that, but still giving you excellent near to intermediate to far and while also you know, improving on the quality of vision. So that's kind of what the value has been. We've, we've had experience with this now, and I think that kind of reflects in what, what we have found with the Synergy Lens. You know, I haven't had a chance to put this lens in yet, but I'm interested in all of the data I've seen coming out, but it seems to me that there's always you know, a compromise. So if you had to think like, what do you think is the compromise? It can't be all you know, rainbows and roses that now they get excellent distance and great near. Is there something we should be worried about or think about when we're, using this particular technology with patients? Well, you're right. I mean, it's not rainbows, but it certainly is halos. And, uh, and I mean, you know, we don't get away, you can't get away from halos with diffractive technologies. And this is, not, this is the same as other technologies that we always are concerned and we always warn our patients about the risk of halos and glare. And, and I think that's the compromise that we take when we use this te these technologies. And, 
you know, there are attempts to try to address this with violet filtering to reduce some light scatter with some of those short wavelengths um, and some of the other, you know, modifications on the lens. Uh, but still, we can't get away from that. And that's one of the, you know, contraindications, patients who would not do well with halos and glare. That's still an issue. And we have to be mindful of that. But, but many patients, of course, are able to address that and are willing to, you know, you know, go through that neural adaptation process to enhance their range of vision because nothing beats a full range of vision lens than a, than a multifocal lens. And you know, this kind of takes it to that, to that level of full range of vision. So yes, I mean, there is there's certainly patient selection, which is important and for good reason. This isn't a lens for every patient. I would also be careful in using this in lenses in patients who have comorbidities that could affect mm -hmm. contrast, whether mm -hmm. it's cornea or glaucoma or, or, or macula in, in nature. So those are all things that we have to still be mindful of in terms of uh, some of the contraindications. So, you know, we're still waiting for that lens that doesn't split light, doesn't have any glare and halos, gives you excellent distance continuously all the way to like three inches from your face. And uh, we really don't have any compromise. Of course, we don't have that. So that's why we still have the art of medicine. And you and I are still important in trying to decide which patient really would benefit from which uh, technology. So it's good that we're I still needed. <laughs> I agree, Kathy, and I think we've, we've kind of gone through three new technologies, and I think they all fit nicely within expanding our armamentarium. I mean, some of these are new categories, as you mentioned. Some of these are kind of a takeoff monofocal and give you a bit of extra, and some of these are building on next generation, you know, diffractive multifocal technologies. So, you know, I, I think that summarizes it quite well. So, Kathy, just to kind of come toward the end here, um, maybe let's talk about what the impact we feel on these next generation lenses on cataract practices. You know, we, we know that presbyopic lenses still occupy a very small part of all IOLs implanted. I mean, I think the numbers are like, you know, less than 10%, like 7%. Do you feel these, these offerings will expand that, um, you know, that, that number to a larger number of patients and larger number of practices? Yeah, so for my practice, where I really have focused on, no pun intended, <laughs> refractive cataract surgery, and really wanted to offer this to as many patients as I thought was appropriate or were able to take advantage of it. Um, it already has expanded the number of patients that I can offer that to. So I can say it for somebody who's already been in the game, so to speak, and, and just wanted to expand the patients and their number of uh, offerings, yes, it has expanded that in my own practice. Uh, but I think that there's another important category of surgeon and patient that it will benefit. And that's the one that we started with in our conversation, who maybe they dabbled with some refractive cataract surgery in the past. They were not impressed or the patients were not impressed with the quality of vision and the, the trade-off and compromise they needed to make. And so they kind of veered off and away from it and were a little gun shy of going back in that arena. And I think things like iHands and Vividi, where there's less of a trade-off that way, maybe you don't get exactly, you know, completely free of reading glasses, but a really nice functional range of vision. Um, I think it's an opportunity for some of those physicians to feel comfortable again, offering these solutions and maybe get comfortable enough that they're willing to try some of the newer diffractive optics as well. So I think it's gonna expand for both of those reasons, people who are already offering and people who just need to get back into it. I, I agree, Kathy. I mean, you know, for those that are not doing presbyopic lenses, I think that starting off with, with eye hands and with uh, Vividi are, are great ways to kind of feel a bit more comfortable and have a bit more range of patients, no pun intended on that one. Um, mm -hmm. And I would say that, you know, in our practice, 
you know, it, they have, it hasn't cannibalized our full range of, I call them full range of vision lenses, our, our diffractive multifocal technologies, which we include synergy in there as well, because we still go with that first, you know, the first discussion on that, on those technologies. I still love to be able to achieve full range of vision for patients, complete spectacle freedom, and there's no better way to do it than those diffractive and hybrid technologies. But as we said, there are many reasons why we don't use technologies, whether it's because of comorbidities or quality or dysphotopsy, or maybe we're not content with our biometry, whatever the reasons are. So that's where I think these other lenses have just expanded our presbyopic line. So whether you're someone who's new or someone who's seasoned, I really firmly believe that these technologies will expand the number of, of, uh, of presbyopic lenses that are put out there. Is there anything else, Kathy, that you wanna add you know, for surgeons who are looking as far as expanding their presbyopic practices in terms of what, what a practice needs to do to get into these technologies, whether diagnostics or, or mm -hmm. flow or anything else? Yeah, you know, so I think one of the things that has happened as this evolution in the technology has occurred is that we're a little bit better in our preoperative planning and the tools we have to do that than we were before. So, you know, we have more advanced IOL calculation formulas, we have better biometers. And I think that that, that you know, worry that you're going to miss the target is a little less. And so I would say, you know, use your biometry, use your reps for any of these maybe easier to enter um, technologies like the Vividi or Hihance, have them come in and show you what you can do to get good accurate measurements and then, and then jump in. Both of them have bigger landing platforms as far as you know, being able to target and get exactly where you need to be for the distance vision, which we know is really where we want to nail it. And then the rest is just gravy. I, I agree. I mean, I think all, all the things to do great with monofocals apply to this. And that means having the latest generation formulas out there. I, I know, I'm sure you like, I mean, I like the Barrett, I like the Kane. Yeah. Uh, and Olson formula, I think those are all done great. The Hill RBF, I mean, those are modern generation you know, formulas and take advantage of biometers as well that give you much more than just simply axial length in, care, in Ks. White to white, AC depth, lens thickness, uh, and you know, in a, in a true measurement, I think are all important. And I, I do like using topography a lot. Uh, I'm sure like you, we like to get yes. a good view of the cornea, whether we're treating stimulus or not, just to assess for corneal is issues. I don't rely much on, on higher order aberrations and, and angle cap as much as I used to. Uh, mm -hmm. But still, it's good. it's good to get a nice view of that cornea. And of course, we talk about the macula. So, and most of all, I think it's just having the philosophy in your practice to say, you know, well, you want to be able to, to offer more, I mean, and not be stagnant. I mean, being stagnant means, you know, we're behind and, yeah. uh, you know, not we to, want to offer the best thing. to our patients, right? And to do that, you're exactly right. We need to be, you know, using what we have, the tools we have out there that help us to meet those expectations better. Um, but the other thing I want to mention is that there, there are newer planning softwares too, like Veracity or the DHS system. And so using some of those planning softwares too takes a little bit of the anxiety out of it. And they're gonna be using uh, artificial intelligence to help you to choose the right lens as well. So you can put all kinds of gates in there that help you to not miss things that you might've been worried about missing before in choosing what's best for a patient. So I think it's just gonna get better and better, easier and easier. And we're gonna see more consistent results across all different surgeons and different approaches. That's a great point. This whole digital data, big data stuff is just, it's just further going to, you know, enhance our ability to do this, uh, do this really well. Well, this has been a great conversation. It's been a lot of fun. I always learn so much from you, Ike, and I always appreciate your perspective. So, but today I, we want to conclude by saying that this highlighted some of our newest 
Presbyopia Correcting Eyewell Technologies and how they work together to provide the best vision and maximal range of vision for a variety of patients in our practice. But there's still the art of medicine and we still get to kind of look at all those technologies and figure out how they fit best in our hands. And we hope that this conversation in this program has helped you to better understand those different options and how they might fit into your own practice and how you can use technology to help your patients. We encourage you to get even more details by watching the entire Presbyopia Management course series and reading the CRST supplement entitled Matching Today's Presbyopia Correcting Innovations and Specific Patient with Specific Patient Needs. Thank you.